All right, well, this morning, uh, we're going to be continuing on as uh, we look at Advent. Uh, and so Advent, again, um, comes from the word Adventus, which means uh, anticipation, uh, looking forward to. And so there's a, a lot of things that we do when it comes to Christmas and uh, the various things that we look forward to. We're now like, we were driving last night and, and looking at Christmas lights. And we went past a house uh, and the house literally has like a countdown like projected onto their front wall. You know, like I think it's like 14 hours, 13, you know, 14 days, 13 hours and like, 10 seconds, 9 seconds, 8 seconds, like that anticipation for, for Christmas. But we've also been looking at how um, Advent is uh, an anticipation of Christ's second return. Um, that that's really the spirit behind Advent. That, that it's not just like, oh, like Christmas is in X number of days and we get to spend some time with family, celebrate the birth of Jesus, um, and then be, kind of move on and then next is Easter and then we kind of go around that, that clock again. Um, but really, the, the season of Advent is meant as a reminder of we're still waiting. We're still in anticipation of Jesus coming back. And, and, and everything within this world, the, the sickness, the death, we, we touched on this in, in Revelations 21 uh, in the first message for Advent. Um, but in this, he's saying, we'll wipe out every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things uh, have passed away. Uh, and so all those things come about at Christ's return. Uh, and so we have this, this deep anticipation, this, this sense of a, a second advent, if you will, uh, for Jesus returning. And as we've gone through this, we've looked at hope, we've looked at love, and the theme for this morning is peace. Uh, and so when you hear the word peace, what comes to mind? Anybody? A piece of pie? And, uh, I'm getting hungry now. Peace, the peace symbol, yep. Throw that up there. Um, rest, rest is good. Calm, yes, like peace and quiet. Like, like our soul's okay with everything, like... Regardless of the chaos around us, we're content and at peace. Do you have something, Jeremy? No weight on the shoulders. That's good. World peace, right? Like, we may have a, a sense of peace here, but it's not the same across the whole world. And there's always these tensions that are, are pushing and shoving. And so there's a lot of different uh, ideas of and concepts of what peace is, but when it comes to Advent, when it comes to Christmas, um, I think we have to consider what does it mean to have peace with God? N not necessarily the peace of God, right? We, we look at Philippians chapter 4 and it says, uh, do not be anxious or worried about anything, but through everything with prayer and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, uh, and then the peace of God um, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, so there's something different there. That's, that's the peace of God. That's the peace that we have that regardless of what we're facing, like we're in God's hands. But there's a whole different thing that is, that is literally peace with God, which is something that is absolutely essential for our souls. When we think of Christmas and Advent, we often consider Jesus Christ, um, you know, as a baby. We have the little manger, and he's in the swaddling clothes, and we have the, the scenes that we can drive by, or the, the live uh, nativity scenes that you can kind of walk through, and, and Jesus is always like this baby. Um, my family, for 
uh, Christmas morning, we, uh, we make a cake. And, and the past couple of years, it's turned into like a sugar-free cake. Uh, but we have cake and bacon. Um, cake and bacon is like our breakfast for Christmas morning. And we light the candles and we sing happy birthday to Jesus. Uh, and then we have, you know, some, some carbs and protein, um, you know. Uh, so we celebrate that and, and we have this idea of, of Jesus as a child. But when we look at, at history and him kind of arriving as a, a baby in a manger in a very humble circumstances, uh, and knowing now that he was the Messiah, it's completely different than what uh, the Jews were expecting. They, they were anticipating um, a conquering king. They were expecting for the Messiah to, to arrive and overthrow Rome and establish a kingdom. Uh, and something very different happened and, and many of them missed what was going on in the moment. Uh, but it doesn't mean that the Messiah coming as a conquering king was wrong. They just had the timing wrong. Because when you look in uh, Revelation chapter 19, it says that Jesus will come as a conquering king. Beginning in verse 11, um, he says, Then I saw heaven opened. Now, every time I see something like this as I read the Bible, uh, I like to try and get you know, into this headspace of kind of imagining it. Now, this is John um, sitting there, and he's getting this vision. And, and so imagine just kind of sitting there and praying and talking to God, and all of a sudden it seems like heaven opens up in front of you. Like I'm about falling off my chair at that point, right? So, so he sees heaven open up, and, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, And so this is Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped with blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Now again, remember when we started the series in John, it starts off in John 1.1. The Word. And the Word was God. This is Jesus. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. Not quite the same image as a baby in swaddling clothing in a manger. But yet the same Jesus. When we look at Christmas, we have this concept of him coming and this gift of love and the angels uh, crying out. Glory to God in the highest. All of this, this declaration of a Savior born. But we also have to remember this particular picture where the heavens open up and here is Jesus. Um, his robe has blood on it. The entire army of heaven is behind him. And he's returning again. Now why do we want this picture when we consider Christmas? Because it very much has to do with the idea and the concept of peace with God. Again, 
not the peace that God gives us in circumstances, but our actual peace in a relationship with him. We're, we're speaking of the being that spoke all things into existence. Jesus, who said, let there be light, and there was light. Let, let there be blue whales, and there was blue whales. Who holds all things together, and at any moment has the ability and the power for it all to just end. And the sky is split, and it says that he's coming riding with an army of angels behind him. And I, and I even just try and imagine that, and one of two things happens. Uh, either the ride of the Valkyries starts like going on in my head, <laughs> you know, um, uh, or I just stop because I can't comprehend it. Like, like this is depicting Jesus' return to a world um, that we live in. When we talk about like desiring for Jesus to come back, come back quickly because life is rough and hard here. This is what we're talking about. This is going to be his return as a conquering king. And, and not just with this authority and this power uh, over things here now in life and for all of eternity, um, but then also he judges in Revelations chapter 20, beginning verse 11. Um, he says, I saw a great white throne with him who was seated on it. So Jesus is seated on this throne. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Now as we look at this, it's talking about each one of us at some point is going to meet Jesus uh, while he's on this judgment seat. And this book is open, this book of, of life. And there's this judgment of, of what have you done in life. And thanks to the grace and mercy of God that we find throughout Scripture, that, that if we have gone and, and we have given our lives to Christ as our Lord, if we've humbly submitted, repented of our sins, and, and said, my efforts, all, all this list of things that I have done will never be good enough to, to pass this particular moment of judgment. And, and so therefore, I don't trust in that. Instead, Jesus, I trust completely in what you have done that you died on the cross for me, that my sins are forgiven, that you make me holy, not my actions. And so we face him in that moment, and we know that what he sees is his own work on the cross. And that even though he fully knows, and this was our message last week, right? He fully knows and fully loves fully knows our mistakes, fully knows our sins, fully loves us, and fully forgives us. That's what that moment will be for those whose names are in the book of life. However, in verse 14, it says, Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
This is talking about hell. This eternal separation and punishment for rebellion against the God who spoke all things into existence and gave up everything to come and rescue us, to make a way where there was no way, and through his grace and mercy did all of the work so that all we have to do is receive his forgiveness and and walk with him as our Lord and Savior. For those who do not do that, this is the result. So what's your response to hearing these passages? Like when we get into Revelation, they're, they're heavy. They're scary. It, it seems unfair, and, and it certainly seems a, a far cry from the passage that we opened up this morning uh, as we read out of Isaiah, where it talks about Jesus, uh, and it says, People walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Well, this passage in Isaiah and these passages in Revelation are describing the same God. They're describing the same Jesus Christ. Both the baby and the returning conquering king. The the one of grace and mercy and the one that will judge and punish those who never received his free offer of salvation. It is the same person, but what is the difference in this experience? Again, Revelation pointed out, those whose names are not in the book of life, they're in rebellion against God. They are not at peace with God. And this is why it's so important to understand this concept of of needing to be at peace with God. Not just that he gives us peace in situations, but, but to know that we're not in a state of rebellion against him. That through the blood of Christ, through forgiveness, repentance, reconciliation, and his work within us, that, that our soul is at peace with the God who spoke all things into existence. That we are not in opposition and instead he calls us sons and daughters. He adopts us and showers his love on us. That is the difference in the experience of God as a judge, a just judge, and God as this Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. We have been touching on Romans chapter 5 here when we see in verse 1, Uh, throughout this series, uh, we have been declared righteous by faith. Since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the only way to attain to this peace with God uh, is not to go ourselves and try and negotiate some truce or or some compromise that says, well, I'm going to do the best things that I can possibly do in this life, uh, and hopefully that'll be good enough that he recognizes me that I'm not his enemy. But Romans 5 tells us that it's uh, only through this uh, righteousness, being declared righteous by faith, that we have peace with God. This faith is a Greek word, pistis, uh, which means to have trust. Uh, It is the same thing uh, when it says um, in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart, 
and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you are saved. That believed in your heart also is the Greek word pistis. So it's this absolute trust that it's a, it's a placing your eternity into the hands of Christ and saying, I trust you above any of my actions because they're inadequate. And I need you to work in my life. I need your love. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need you to change me. I need you to rescue me. And when that happens, we're given the peace with God. If we get to the point uh, of salvation in this life uh, by confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, repenting of our sins, uh, we're told through Scripture at that very moment we have the peace with the Creator that spoke all things into existence. And that is the true source uh, of regardless of what happens here and now on this world, with the, the chaos and the pain and sickness and dying and all these things, that regardless of any of that, that's why we're really at peace. Because we know that, that for all of eternity, we're at peace with the one who holds all things together. I, I love this passage in Romans chapter 8. Um, in this, uh, beginning of chapter 8, and I forget to put these on the, the screen this morning, uh, starts off in verse 1 by saying there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So again, if we're at peace with him, if we are with him, there, there is no condemnation. We get to that place of judgment. There, there is no weight of heaviness of condemnation in that moment, but we stand before him and say, I've trusted you. And then we long to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And as his sons or daughters, that's, that's what he tells that he will give to us. But as, as one of these passages, and he kind of goes through Romans chapter 8, he talks about how uh, in verse 15, we didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but rather a spirit of adoption by whom we call out Abba, Father. Talks about this intimate relationship with God, an intimate relationship with the God who came down as a baby in a manger, but also an intimate relationship with the conquering king where the heaven is split. He's on a horse with all of the armies have heaven behind him. What this passage is saying is we get to call that king Abba, Daddy. That is the peace that we have with God through Jesus Christ. But continuing Romans chapter 8, he gets uh, into verse 18. And I, I, I love this passage. It says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. The sufferings of this present time, the sufferings of our current life, are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. This is a promise from God. When we think about what heaven might be like, uh, for me it's kind of difficult. It's kind of abstract. Because we have like, okay, are the streets really going to be paved with gold? Or, or is that just somebody's vision of what it's going to look like? Is there going to be a giant pearl door that swings open? I don't know. Like, do I get to play catch with my grandfather? who I don't think I ever played catch with. I, I don't know those answers, right? 
Corinthians says, no eye is seen, no, no mind can conceive, no ear is heard, what God has prepared for those who love him. But what I can grasp onto is this passage. Because I know the pain that I've had in my life. I know the suffering that I've had in my life from, from going through uh, two days and a night at a hospital to, to have a stillbirth child and hold that in my hands, hold her in my hands. One of the hardest things I've ever gone through in my life. I, I know the pain that I've had with, with loved ones passing away. And you know the pain that you've experienced. You know the trauma that's happened. You know the hurt or the betrayal, the suffering, maybe even illness, chronic pain. You know what that is in your life. You know the most difficult things that you've ever been through. It's not hard for us to imagine because we've lived it. And we can see it on the news with the Tornadoes going through Kentucky, and we can empathize with the people there. Like, we know what suffering is on this planet. And the promise from God is that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. Not even worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. So what this means is that the hardest thing we've ever been through in this life will pale, will fade in comparison with what heaven will be for all of eternity as we have peace with God. That's what gives us peace in all circumstances. That is why the peace with God is, is so valuable. It is the, the thing that is the most critical in each one of our lives. Because it's for all of eternity. And we don't know when our time on this earth will be done. Last night... John Crowback died in his sleep. The joy that he had worshiping God was such an encouragement to me. I hated to be sitting back there and raising his hands and the way that that man would pray, the relationship that he had with God. It was undeniable that he had peace with God. We don't know how much time we have. But we do know that if we have peace, the time that we have left here and now is going to pale in comparison no matter the suffering that we go through, no matter the pain. And so for John, like right now, it's just the concept of the, as we're here and, and I've kind of got like a, a stiff lower back right now, like he's got none of that. Right? Like, like for John, having peace with God means that he is this full revelation of seeing Jesus face to face and, and knowing him as the, here's this baby and this love that came down. He knows him as shepherd and wonderful counselor and prince of peace, but he also has this deep understanding of what it means that Jesus is going to be the conquering king and, and there's the army of heaven waiting and this idea of peace. John fully understands what Psalm 23 means now. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our brother's there. And if you have peace with God, someday you'll be there too. And I don't know what your life will be between now and then, but if you have peace with God, you have peace in all circumstances. And if you do not have peace with God, I I urge you, seek it. Seek His face. You can do nothing to earn His love. You can do nothing to earn His forgiveness. All He asks is for you to acknowledge you can't do it on your own and that you desperately need His help and you just say, God, I need you to rescue me. Forgive me of my sins. Then I follow you and I trust you. That's all that's needed to enter into His peace, to be given His peace, and to be at peace with Him. Father, we come before you this morning and we mourn and we hurt and we have snotty crying Uh, and we will miss uh, our brother John. And yet, even in the pain that we're experiencing, the pain that his family is experiencing, we know that will pale in comparison to the glory that you reveal to us. We thank you for the promise that one day coming when you return, uh, that there will be no more death, no more crying, no more sickness, no more pain, for all those things will pass away and never, ever exist again. And we thank you that in order to enter into that, we just need to be at peace with you, and you are the way that made it possible for that peace to be through Jesus Christ on the cross. So Lord, as we look at Christmas, as we celebrate uh, your arrival and your birth, let us also be in eager anticipation for your return. Lord, I pray for those of us that are at peace with you, uh, that we would have joy in all circumstances, that we would have a peace that transcends all earthly understanding. Because we have the hope of the thing that our brother John knows. And Lord, for those here that are not at peace with you, I, I pray that everything in this world becomes pale and flavorless and empty in comparison to you until they find you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.